Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast on JewishCoffeeHouse.com, the show where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. Welcome back. I hope you had a beautiful Chag, whether you need a vacation after this or you feel rested for some reason. Welcome back for a brand new, fresh episode. Today we have a topic that I find is very relevant. You know, I am very passionate about the Shaduchim state in our communities. So I wanted to bring in a twist discussing eating disorders, disordered eating, and shaduchim and how they correlate with each other. And especially coming off of a chag where there's lots of late night eating and a lot of mitzvahs around eating. So post-Pesach eating, regretting, I thought this episode is appropriate for today. The throwback episode is with Shoshana Keats-Jaskal. It's an older episode, but very relevant to some of the issues that we discuss when we talk about the shidduch system. The link will be in the show notes for you and just a few episodes back with my aunt, Dr. Danielle Bloom. She did mention as one of the bigger issues concerning our communities today is eating, exercising, and having that part of our value system as a community and not just as individuals. I hope you appreciate this episode. This is a Jewish Coffee House podcast. So if you enjoy this podcast, you will probably enjoy the other podcasts. So check them out. The link is in the show notes for you as well. And I do feel super refreshed post-Pesach. I don't know about you, but I am creating new slots for one or two new podcasts or existing podcasts that just need that extra support, boost, help to get them either out or to the next level. I am offering a lot more hands-on help because I want to see podcasters succeed. So you, or if anyone you know is looking for this kind of support, please don't hesitate to refer them to me. One more thing I want to add is that there are lots of links and resources that we're linking in the show notes for you from this episode from our guest today to use that we cover and mention in the show. And here we go. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Francisca Show. Fran stands today with us. We have Bracha Halberstadt from Lakewood. So excited to have you on. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be on. Okay, let's start off this show just like we do with every other show. Tell us a little bit about yourself, both professionally and religiously. I grew up from from birth. I am from from birth. Um, and especially with the topics that might be brought up on the show, I want to start by saying that I love the from community and I love being part of the from community. So let's start with that. Professionally, I'm a licensed social worker. I work both in a private practice, working with adolescents and adults, with a number of different, you know, a variety of, of issues, including trauma and eating disorders and addiction. And I also work for Bridges, which is a organization for families in crisis in Lakewood. And I am a care specialist for the young adults there. So that's, that's what I'm currently doing. That's awesome. And if you had to say you specialize in a certain area, would you be comfortable saying that eating disorders and things around food? I would say eating disorders and trauma are my, are my biggies. So I'm super curious because I'd love to hear what's going on in Lakewood <laughs> and what's, uh, you know, what's happening behind the scenes as a mental health professional. 
So I'm excited to get into it. Part of the motivation to have you on today was to talk about the correlation, any correlations that we have around body dysmorphia, body image issues, eating disorders, and some of our societal pressures and expectations that come from living the from lifestyle. And I'd love to see if we could bridge, if I may use the word bridge, <laughs> the gap between some of the correlations that we're seeing or causations. Okay, actually, I would like to start just by dispelling a few myths about eating disorders in general, because I think that there are so many misconceptions and it's hard to talk about eating disorders when I'm assuming most of your listeners are lay people, not professionals in the eating disorder field. So the first thing I just want to like, like the myth that I want to like best is that eating disorders are about vanity. So eating disorders are not about vanity. They are very complex mental illnesses that are really caused by a very like complex combination of things on a biopsycho and social level. So we want to be careful, especially because this talk will be highlighting some of the societal issues, which might make it look like a vanity problem to explain that that's not what an eating disorder is. So that's number one. Could you just go into this a little bit more? When you say vanity problem, you don't mean it's like self-disciplinary issues with not being able to keep weight off or being too disciplined. Exactly. About it's your, not your eating disorders eating. aren't as simple as somebody who, who cares so much about their looks that they just want to be really skinny or someone who really can't get themselves together and therefore, you know, like can't stop eating. And it's all about like, you know, for, I, I heard people kind of think that eating disorders are very much about like, well, if you'd care more about your inside and like who you are as a person, that would fix the problem. Yeah, so I have heard <laughs> that. Heard that <laughs> so I want to like start by explaining that, that that's really not what it's about. Those societal issues that put a big focus on or on externals obviously can contribute to eating disorder development. So I, I just wanted to clear that one up first before we get into it. And the second piece I always feel is very important to to acknowledge is that eating disorders don't have a look. You can't say, oh, this person might be really, you know, restricting her food a lot, but she's fine because she's still fat or she's fine because she's, she's a regular size. So we want to recognize that eating disorders come in all shapes and sizes and all kinds of eating disorders, whether it's primarily binging, primarily restricting, whatever the eating disorder looks like can come in all shapes and sizes. And people ask me to address this. I know it was mentioned in Mishpacha or one of the, these publications about like the eating that's so the kiddishes and our obsessions with food and how much of it is Shabbos meals and all of that, how it's unhealthy. And we need to reestablish what food looks like in our culture a little bit. I don't, was that it? Or it was being, no, it was not that. I get so many articles sent to me a day. <laughs> it's very interesting, actually. I know what you're talking about, the article. And what I think is really interesting is I think the day after we made up to have this conversation about eating disorder development in the from community, especially around Shadafan, Miriam Pascal-Cohn, I think I'm pronouncing her name right, came out on her Instagram and specifically the conversation started around Shadafan and fat, and fat shaming. So it was really interesting and I think the world is very much ready to hear the messages that we're trying to, to bring out now. And I think that was a piece that was brought up. Like, I think that conversation started off so many offshoots of conversations about like, all the different parts of from culture and from life and how that impacts our eating even before it hits a yeah. disorder level. And if we have time, I'd love to get into the initial reason I reached out to you was I wanted to see if there was a correlation between eating disorders and SNEAS for women. Sure. And we'll so, get to that if we have time for that as well. We'll get into that. Okay. So let's start wherever we'd like to get started. What do you, what should we talk about first? I think the first thing I want to say is this is something I've actually, you know, I did my master's thesis on 
on eating disorders in the Orthodox community because this is something that, you know, I'm very passionate about. And looking at the research, and I would say in my past years in the field, I'm going to say the same thing of we can't start deciding very easily, first of all, how much greater our prevalence of eating disorders is compared to the secular world, if, if it is greater. And if so, what single factor there is? Because there are so many factors, whether you're looking at genetic factors, right? Is there a difference between eating disorders in Ashkenaz or Spartak worlds, right? Like we're two different ethnicities. Whether you're looking at it from cultural levels, religious levels, is it that if you're more religious or less religious, there'll be greater or lower chance, right? So there's so many, so many different factors. And the only thing conclusively that we see both from research and just empirically, like what the from eating disorder therapists end up seeing, myself included, is we do seem to have a higher rate. And there are many factors that contribute. And I want to start by saying that there are also a lot of positive things in the from community that decrease the chance of developing an eating disorder or increase the chance of getting help once an eating disorder exists. So I'm going to run through those and then we'll turn into that. And then we can we can turn to the book side. Okay, and and are we including men in this conversation or is it just women? That's a great, a great question. I will say I don't work with men personally. So I can talk about what I know research wise, but my personal experience is working with with women and I would like to talk about what I actually know about instead of making things up, which I sometimes <laughs> like to do. But we do know that there's a lot of there there really is a like not enough research about about men with eating disorders. A lot of times men with eating disorders like aren't believed, aren't taken seriously. And it is something we're seeing more and more in the firm community as well. We address that. Yeah. And if we're talking about shidduchim, I will say that we're probably going to be looking more at the challenges for women because that's the way the shidduch system currently is run. So some of the positive things I would I would say is we have, you know, you put out the social eating, which is something that can be positive or negative. But like all the like yam and tovim and shabbos and kedushim and like all of the things. It really is depending on, on the way it's presented. If a person has positive feelings towards their community, towards their family, then eating with them will probably come along with positive feelings towards food. But that can be something helpful. Having positive spiritual connection also is something that very much is shown to be helpful to decreasing all mental illness. But for sure, with eating disorders, we see that. Also, the really large amount of community support. Like when someone has an eating disorder, there are going to be so many different kind of organizations and people to turn to. And there's a lot more than that exists in the outside world. So, yeah, let's just start off by, by like acknowledging some of those positives. Okay. I didn't know about that last one. I, I thought because there's so much stigma potentially that we wouldn't have so much open help. It's a really interesting point because the stigma, I think, prevents people from getting help. And that being said, while there are some organizations that deal with eating disorders that are secular organizations are many. I found, because I've worked both in the firm community now, but I've previously worked out of the, the Jewish community. And I saw that my eating disorder clients there have much less resources to turn to. Now there is just a, a whole bunch of organizations that you can call for quick referrals, for information. There are support groups. There are different people like starting different initiatives. But I think it is, it is more accessible but you have to first get past the stigma. Got it. And would you be able to send me some of those resources so we can link them in the show notes? Sure. Okay, great. So let's talk about the negative stuff now. <laughs> let's get into it. Are we going to start with the biggie, which is what we had originally chosen to talk about, the shidduch piece, or do we want to look at some of the other factors as well? I'd like to go into as much as we can. Maybe let's start with the shidduch piece. Sure. So with the shidduch piece, you know, it's complicated because we can't even be isolating the shidduch piece. 
without first recognizing, I feel like, like, let's first take a step back and recognize that we do have a very big problem in the firm community. You know, I would love to hear your thoughts about what you think might contribute to it of the cookie cutter expectations. The like, everybody should be doing the right thing, ticking off the boxes, be the best they can in each little category. Of course, the like big looming overhead is like, otherwise they'll never get married. But in general, there's without even the weight piece and without even the shadafan piece, there's a lot of that pressure. Absolutely. I think it's because it's one of the core values in our communities to have a family. And it's every parent's nightmare to think about their child never getting married. It's also in our community and any other culture that has this marrying off piece. The burden is on the parents versus if you go to a secular society, it's every individual adult's journey to get themselves married. It's not their parents' job. So in a culture where it's on the parents, it becomes their responsibility, thus turning their whole uh, upbringing into that whole cycle, we need to get you married. That's where our job ends, quote unquote. Exactly, exactly. But even without without that marriage piece, there's such a huge focus on externals. And I don't know why we have such great values. And I think that baseline of pressure, where the, like, you have to look a certain way, already starts really complicating things. And would you say that's because women are so restricted in how they dress, makeup or certain standards become a given and then if something's a given you have to upkeep it or because we're so conforming to begin with we naturally conform when it comes to other external unimportant things i think both of those but i'm saying the second piece probably is is like my gut of like how we're there are so many boxes we kind of we're quote unquote like supposed to be taking for you know higher reasons right all the, the halafos we're following and not just halafos, like just the whole hashkafa and way of life comes with so many different expectations. But then that almost makes people stop thinking for themselves and being like, oh, I can figure out how I want to look. Even like I think like if, I, if you go into a Jewish clothing store, whatever is in style is going to be the only thing that they're selling. Like I'm thinking like a whole bunch of years ago when like pleather was in, like everything was pleather. Or like the color that's in that season, like it's the only color. Versus if you go to an Anjur's clothing store, there's going to be a lot more of a mix of styles because people are like, oh, maybe this isn't styled. Maybe this color, but it's not my color. And I think we have like a certain limitation. There's like, a yeah, like if this is what everyone's wearing, I should be doing the same. That's so interesting because I'm sure if I would interview the designers who are selling and doing their lines, they could talk about how different every piece of clothing is designed to be and look. But since everyone just wants to wear black or one uniform color, that's what they're supplying. Exactly. Exactly. They're supplying what what the demand is. And the demand is that everybody wants to look fairly or many people want to look fairly similar to the rest of the community. And would you say it's like, I want to just blend in and I don't want to stand out? I would say that's a huge piece of that. I would say that's a huge piece of that. Okay, let's keep and then, going. And then we move back into the, you know, putting back in the shit off piece, right? So like you were saying, like the parents have this whole pressure. And I honestly think, and this is a lot of the conversation that just was on Instagram and in Mishpafa's, that Mishpafa article. I, I really believe that parents are well-meaning when this, when this starts coming up. But I cannot tell you how many people who sat in my office have told me that they were told at a pretty young age where marriage, like, shouldn't, like I'm talking about like elementary school age children who were told like, be careful what you eat. Like you're going to be in Shadafam soon. Like, you know, you want people to like, you know, you want, you want Shadafam to, to say like, to be writing Shadafam for you or you want, you know, you want boys to say yes to you. People of every body type, 
I've heard that about comments. So it's not like it's only people after a certain weight are getting those comments. And people really young are starting to get this terrible message of like, you'll be considered for marriage only if you keep to a certain size. I got those comments, not from my parents, but I got comments like that. And I was chubby those years I got the comments. And it's so damaging. It is so damaging. And like, it's not even just parents. Like, I remember hearing, and I'm so grateful I don't remember which school this was, because I don't want to know. Someone once told me about how the guidance counselor had come into their school to talk to the 12th graders before they went to seminary, like give them their like, these are the important things to know. And one of the things she warned them was like, make sure not to get too bad because you're going to come home and want to get married. But what's wrong with saying that? So many things. And I'm so glad you're asking because sometimes I'm in my little bubble where I have all of my information and I forget that like not everybody is in my bubble. I'll let you into my bubble as well. Thank you. Um, the number one problem is, is that we don't really get to control our weight as much as everyone likes to think we do. And I know that what I'm saying is not a very popular opinion. I mean, it is backed by science. And I do have uh, lots of people in my bubble who believe the same as I do. But the whole notion that we get to control our weight is, is not a great one, not an accurate one either. Our weight is primarily determined by genetics. And that doesn't mean that because your sister's a size, you should be this size. It's, you know, genetics are more complex than that. And there are a lot of other things. Like if you look at a pie chart of what your weight is determined by, it's a pretty small slice and forgot what percentage it is that actually has to do with your eating, which is not what we like to think, you know, if people go with the whole like calories in, calories out mindset. And that's, that's actually not completely factual. Then we want to look at attempts at weight loss. I'm quoting one study I've seen, but there are different studies that show even a higher rate of failure. But diets have a at least 95% failure rate with many people gaining back more than they lose. It's, you're more likely to gain back more, more than you lose than you are to put the weight off. So there's that concern with kind of making people... But what I'm saying is, what's wrong with telling girls before they go to seminaries, you're going on your own now. It's going to be the first time you're probably aware of your own eating. The seminary I went to, for example, I was responsible to create my own meals out of nothing. So I had to think about going to the shuk or to the makola to make sure I have food to prepare between classes. And so what's wrong with telling somebody this is going to be the first time probably you're out of the house and you're going to be dealing with this. Be aware that you you can eat your feelings away. You're going to have tests and stressful situations and you're not going to come home for Shabbos. And that can affect you in several different ways. And just be aware that's something you want to keep in mind, not like start a diet, for example. What's wrong with saying that? That's my question. So it's a really good question. So first of all, that already is phrased differently than how the school guidance counselor. So just, just you know, acknowledging that point. But going back, I, I still wouldn't be comfortable with that messaging because we do want people to be aware of their eating, right? You're right. An 18-year-old girl who likely never had to be involved with her own food choices needs support. Um, and the message should be, nutrition is a really important part of your overall well-being, physical, emotional, everything. Like if you're going to do well, you're going to want to be adequately prepared and, and fed and nourished if your body needs that. So talking about like, well, what are some challenges that could come up and how can you meet those nutritional needs? And then acknowledging that some people notice that their eating habits change pretty significantly when they get to Israel, where they're eating either much less or much more. And when that's happening, you want to check in. What's going on? Do you have your normal appetite? Is there a physical issue going on? Is there an emotional challenge going on for you when you're using food in some in either direction to cope? And if so, please reach out to you know, a trusted adult to get support. 
Because that way, instead of making weight be the issue, we're making the nutrition. underlying thing that may, yeah. And, and, and the challenges that might be contributing to nutritional issues be the thing we want to, we want to highlight. And then my other issue with what this guidance counselor said, which I, I don't, I, I'm assuming she actually exists and this is not like a figment of my imagination, the story. Um, but is the huge link between like, you're going to come home, you're going to want to start shift and no one's going to want to marry you. She didn't say it in those words, but. That's um, the message. That's kind of, yeah, exactly. And the damage with that, I would say, will bring us into the whole conversation. But I can't even tell you again how, how much I've seen where either I have clients of all sizes who believe that they're not attractive and believe that marriage is all about physical attraction and body size and no one will ever marry them. Or beyond that, clients who get married and some of them lose weight and are a different size than they were when they were told that. Like, irrelevant to their body size, irrelevant to anything, cannot believe that their husbands actually are attracted to them and are, like, even disgusted by their bodies. And that's, the, like, I would say it's a huge fallout. Like, it creates such a, a disconnect where girls have such a hard time feeling comfortable and safe even once they get married. Is that reality wrong? Meeting... I understand it's wrong. It messes with women's heads when they hear that which, at whatever age and stage they are or whatever body size type they are. But the question is, isn't the reality? And when I try to suggest people all the time, I'm dealing and facing with this whole the guys like she's not my they won't say body type, but I'm I, I'm no thank you or they're not even getting rejected. I'm getting rejected on their behalf. And I'm like, but that's the reality. That's what we're dealing with. And we're not talking about them getting married because yes, women do get married with all shapes and sizes, but getting dates and getting yeses, that's where the shidduch system totally manipulates this. Meaning if I was friends yeah. with two people and I would put them together at a Shabbos table, we're talking about a different than the shidduch system where you want to get two strangers to go out with each other and the weight being, yeah. You, you're, you're so right. And I love the way you said this. And, and my first thing is to, to bounce and like, you know, jump onto that wagon that you just nicely brought in. Fat people get married and I, I should have started with this disclaimer. I, see, I use the word fat neutrally. Um, I'm completely comfortable with that description for my own body and I, I use it neutrally to describe bodies in general. But fat people get married at all sizes. And I don't think that there's a correlation between fat people and how long it will take for them to get married, even in our community. But you are right is that fat people have a harder time getting dates. And it's a very unfortunate reality. It doesn't mean it'll take them longer to get married, but it might mean that while they're single, they will have fewer dates. It's a sad reality. It's one of the many ways, like I, I always say, like, as much as we want to help people feel okay in their body, no matter what size they are, that doesn't mean that we don't want to validate that it is easier to be in a thin body. So it makes sense that parents slash guidance counselors are saying these things, not that they're incorrect. Okay, so maybe maybe we need to work on their language. But the messages are being sent today. I'm sure there are tons and thousands of families sending these messages to their daughters. How do we stop that? That's why we're having this conversation. That's where my frustration comes from. Not, It's not toward you. So let me go back. And, yes, let, let's go back. I just want to say one more thing. Okay. This comes back to the like cookie cutter expectation. In the secular world, there is an understanding that different guys, the same way different girls, might be attracted to different body types. It's not a thing of, the thinner the girl, the more attractive she is. That's that's not like a thing except for in the firm community. Are there certain type body types that are more part of the, the beauty ideal? Sure. When it comes to attraction, 
that's that's not like factually the way it works. Some guides will say specifically they prefer curvier girls. And of course, we want to recognize that physical attraction is a very, very small piece of overall attraction. And not, you know, not to, to get confused with that. But I think in the from world, we're often like the mother's the one de- de- like doing that. the questions. Yeah. And the guy probably has no clue, even like so many, like especially in the more sheltered communities, guy has even no clue what he wants. Like he never even thought about like, you know, Nobody kind of talked to him what to attraction means, probably. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. He has no clue anything about like his, like he, he's not, probably not even in touch with his own feelings to, in, in, in that sense. Um, so of course, a thinner girl is like, in like that should have led, like, like ranking system, like she's going to hit higher up because, oh, it's obviously better. It hits the beauty standard, right? But recognizing there's a lot of like false assumptions here. And we want to like recognize that before we can even talk about what we want and like how we can make changes. So the key with the beauty standards is really getting through to the mother of the boy, of the guy. And when I said what attraction means, I didn't mean what attraction is, because I'm sure every boy going through puberty knows what attraction is, but what it means for marriage. So I'm just clarifying there. Okay, I'm giving the microphone back to you. Exactly. So I think that that's really kind of where we have this conundrum, where there's a lot of expectations, a lot of assumptions, a lot of pressure, a lot of like doomsdaying. Like if you're not married by 21, like, you know, everything is over. The world is over just so much fear-mongering toward people of all different body sizes. And I would say that that's really where we start seeing. We see this in the research. We see this in our offices where one of the big causes of eating disorders often is that pressure that can be connected with that, with the system. I wish I had an easy answer, though, with what to do. So do you want to start with the suggestions and then I'll, I'll continue with chiming in? <laughs> suggestions of how to, how to get rid of this? Because we're trying to solve the shidduch crisis together with a mental health issue that, that is a causation from it. The, this conversation hopefully will just bring all the answers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Some of the things, and we talk about this repeatedly on the podcast, we need more exposure, healthy exposure between opposite sexes before marriage. So there are healthy assumptions of what women look like and what they are. You know, they're more than just a sexual object. There's more to a person than their size. And that comes from interacting with your sisters on Chavez or at a dinner table or seeing your cousins and being able to say something more than hello if you're even (laughs) saying hello to them. So that's like step number one. That is so interesting. And I think that that's that's really, really true, especially because sometimes... I'm careful what I'm saying here, but in some communities where, where things are very insular and shut down, the access where guys learn about female bodies isn't exactly either kosher or realistic. And they learn, you know, they might spend more time with that than interacting with cousins in a healthy way. And then their magazines don't have pictures of women in them. So if they are seeing exactly. pictures of women without... It's not realistic. Just, it's not. And it's not healthy. Exactly. Meaning yes, porn exposure is okay as long as you're seeing healthy women. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. Well, yes. Not going to completely agree with that statement, but yeah. So the no, healthy, adding in the, the healthy women and adding in the, the, like you said, if women's faces can be a magazine, if women's bodies can be a magazine, then in healthy and appropriate ways, I think it would shift a lot of the expectations by giving healthy exposure. And that's not something I even thought of. And I, I really like that point. 
another idea since you're letting me speak on my own podcast. I usually don't talk. I usually <laughs> let my guests talk most of the time. But there was this idea that I had inspired by someone else where instead of having shidduch pictures, which some people are so pro and some are so against, having videos so people get to, and the video is edited. So let's say an, an AI edits it down a 45-minute interview, which a person has with somebody just asking them about themselves. And you get to, like, in five minutes, hear a little bit how the person speaks, what they're into, and you just see a little bit of them. And it's not like a two-dimensional photograph. You're getting to see a little bit of their personality and what they're like. You also can edit videos as well as you could edit photos. And you could tell a lot about, I mean, you can't tell so much, but you could get a little bit more than a picture. I love that. I love that. And I think it's, it's a much more realistic way of trying to solve this issue. Because yeah, pictures can be objectified a lot versus a video is a lot more about getting to know a person getting a feel of them. Yeah, and, and the video wouldn't be like, come up with a script in 10 minutes, describe everything about yourself. It's more like an edited down conversation that you're having with somebody else who's asking about yourself. So That's brilliant. I would love to see someone make that happen. <laughs> so we're putting it out there. Let's see if anyone... Okay, if anyone, if any chef find in here and just want to like take this project and run with that, Also, you won't that. just send around a video either. It would It would have to be on a platform protected and you get access to it it's not like you can download it and send it on a chat so which happens with photos they get passed around i really i really really like that idea that sounds, that sounds like a phenomenal idea okay back to you yes so so other ideas i think that like would possibly be helpful is is more parent awareness events recently i believe it was relieved through devora levinson they had a few different education events. I don't know if there was one for parents, though. I know that there was an, one for educators and one for mental health professionals about, you know, spotting eating disorder signs and all of that. But I would love to see a much larger scale of eating disorder prevention events where it's not just about like, how do you notice the first signs? It's how do you want to talk to the, your kids about their bodies? A colleague of mine just posted on a chat. She's an eating disorder dietitian, and she just posted on a chat where she had her four-year-old in school her four-year-old came home from school and said, you know, somebody told me I'm fat. And her daughter happens to be in a, you know, average type body, but that's, you know, besides the point. And her daughter responded by saying, well, I told her that we don't comment in other people's bodies. And she said nothing. And I love that. I love that line because really that's the message we want to give kids. We don't comment in other people's bodies. Fat's not a bad thing. It's the other message you want to give them alongside with that. Like if someone comes home and says, like, my friends are saying I'm fat, regardless of their body size, the answer should never be, but you're not fat. The answer should be, nobody has the right to comment on your body. And also, fat's not even a bad thing. It's a funny thing that, you know, that would be the thing she would pick on you for. And we want to, like, parents learn how to have conversations with their kids around their bodies in healthy, positive ways from when they're very, very young. Specifically, helping kids learn to feel empowered and connected to their bodies in healthy and joyful ways. Instead of taking on a, like, the more objectified version of, like, how you look to other people kind of mindset towards their body. How do you differentiate this between talking about health and nutrition and being healthy? Because that's where a lot of the messaging gets confused because it's not healthy to eat a lot of cake and candy and that makes you fat and it's unhealthy. So therefore, fat equals bad without having to say exactly. that. Exactly. 
And I could, I feel like we could do an entire podcast on this. So I'll, I'll say a few quick kind of things and everyone can, you know, I'll throw out some resources that people might want to look at too. And if you might want to link these resources also. But the, the number one thing is recognizing, especially when someone's kid, let's say, is a little bit higher than average weight. So you don't want to give your, your kid messages different about nutrition than you would give to your child who's average weight. The message isn't different of we want to fuel our bodies in a nourishing, joyful way. It's not like, you know, if, if a parent has two, two children with on different weight levels, you don't want to be giving rules for one different than rules for the other. People of all sizes should work towards health by feeding their bodies in ways that feel good. We want to teach kids also to listen to their bodies. Most children, not necessarily neurodiverse children, or not necessarily children with like a lot of anxiety, but most children are able to listen to their hunger and fullness cues. And if they can, that's, you know, an issue to bring up with a professional. But we want to keep the conversations much more about helping them be in tune to their bodies and helping them nourish themselves in positive and joyful ways. Does that make sense? Yeah. Talk to me about the work you've done with your clients. What does success look like for them? So that's really very different depending on, on so many, so many different, you know, weird clients coming in, what their challenges are. But my end result with my clients, and this is what I like to say about eating sort of work, is not to have their eating look like a certain way and not to have their body look a certain way and not even to have them like go from hating their body to loving their body. Success to me in terms of eating is eating in a way that supports their overall nutrition in a realistic way for them. So again, if you're looking at someone with ADHD, that might be a little bit more chaotic than somebody who's neurotypical, but like a, a realistic way of, of nourishing their body. And in terms of body image, it's not even, the goal is not even to have them love their body. The goal is to have people tolerate their body and love themselves. Like be okay with who they are and really like their body is a vessel to get them through life and hopefully to let them have a really joyful life because that's where the self-love comes in. I remember figuring this out at a pretty young age. I remember thinking women have those unrealistic beauty standards on them, whether the men put it on them or the women, I don't know. And women are also the ones who are having babies and that changes their body every time and many times over throughout every stage of it. And how it just feels so unfair how the women who have to go through body changes versus men who stay the same, basically, besides for aging, also have these unrealistic beauty expectations and standards. Exactly. And then, like, we first of all, again, some of the challenges that come into my office is people who are afraid to get pregnant, whether they're married or single at that point, but afraid of getting pregnant because they're afraid of their body changing. And to me, it's such a tragedy for a woman to choose to put aside something that I'm, I'm talking specifically about women who otherwise would really want to have a child or want to have more children and put aside something that is such a meaningful and like completely not just life changing, but literally bringing another life into this world event because of how their body might change. I, I think it's a tragedy. And then coming along with that and realizing that like we, we put more of a focus on how a woman's body looks than about the miracles that a woman's body is capable of. Like, like, I don't have children yet, but I maybe this is why I still think that childbirth is just the coolest thing in the world. It's the coolest <laughs> thing in the world. I hope that my opinion won't change. But it's 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 incredible. Like we, we're capable of growing a human. Like how amazing are our bodies? And and then we like we like melt our bodies down to the, the like there's the the sum total of like the gravitational pull, aka weight. It's terrible. 
talk to me about the tznius aspect of it. And it's so interesting. I heard two different sides to it because I, I told someone, we just had this a few episodes back, my sister and my mother, that episode together. One of the things she brought up the first time her skirts got a little shorter was when she put on a little weight in seminary and that translated in two inches higher than its designed length. And I can see how, and from personal experience, when I'm a little heavier than I want to be and I don't fit into my clothes the way I'd like to be, being more covered up can feel more uncomfortable. And then I heard somebody tell me on the flip side, people sometimes hide behind SNES because they could just cover everything up and the restrictions of it. And because they're considered more modest and you can't even see, you know, the, the little muffin tops that if they weren't sneeze, they would have to worry about their bathing suit line. So what you're bringing up is more of the body image pieces around sneeze, whether or not people feel more or less comfortable dressing sneeze. And I think that's exactly that. It's very personal. When I did the research on, in general, eating disorders in the firm community, the research shows that sneeze can have both a positive correlation and a negative correlation to eating disorder development. It's not a huge factor, but the difference is, is about how CS is presented. And I think that that's really cool. When someone has positive connection to CS, when someone has given positive messages around modesty, which really, um, Gila Mendelson has a book I really like. I think I'm remembering her name right. Yeah, um, her name. Has a great book. I think it may be called Inside Out. I don't remember. Yeah, I it years out. ago. She has one on CS and one on Shmir Snigia. Yeah, she has two on, on, on yeah, Shmir Snigia. Mm. I think one is written for the secular world and one is written for the firm community. She's, yeah, she has great work. But her one in Stias is, I read it years ago. But I really like that. The the focus being a lot more, and I'm not a Robinson or expert in Stias, but the focus being a lot more on your body is special, your body is sacred. We cover things that are special and sacred. To which I've heard that when growing up, and that's the message. And I'm, I'm so happy you're bringing it up because you say that's the positive messaging. But then I've heard somebody say, yes, we cover up the Safer Torah and everything. But then once a week, we were three times a week, we take it out and we uncover it and we read from it or diamonds, right? We cover up, we protect our diamonds. But no, we're, we're showing off our diamonds. We're wearing them. So, well, we uncover the Safer Torah when we use that. I would say we do the same things with our bodies when, okay. when it's being used in an intended and beautiful way. What about diamonds? Covering do people compare it to diamonds? I think the second you take an analogy too far, it's not going to work. Um, the problem is when all again, the positive messaging is based on one analogy that sometimes doesn't work. That's that's a issue. you're right. And I would say to keep it, you know, you, you the messaging can again. I, I'm really not a CS expert, but but keeping it to even you're the body talking image about things like dignity, talking about things like dignity and sacredness and 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 words like that, as opposed to and 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 again, this is something and I have seen people create more positive connections with body. Um, versus the messaging being, which is, which I, I don't believe is in line with Torah values and definitely is not a healthy message. And I think it's, it's unfortunate that sometimes people give over messaging in, in the wrong way. Uh, messaging sounding like, if you don't dress this way, <laughs> I think the way that I've heard it from different people growing up would be like, men will see you and do an on wrong because that's the only way you can explain in very easy Yeah. Yes. Like men will do whatever they are, um, or beyond that, and that was kind of like, you know, the 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 big bad thing. Like you have to stay away from your like men will be enough if they look at you. And saying that to children about the length of their skirt is, is to me, I, I find it very concerning. 
So I would say that the way that that might correlate to eating disorder specifically is any kind of messaging that makes a person feel sexualized and objectified is going to change the way that they, they treat their body and interact with their body. So I can't say I see this coming in huge droves, but I have seen the damages of this messaging. Thank you for talking about this because I wanted to find someone to come and say this, these words. So I feel very validated. Thank you. My pleasure. That's another project that if somebody can figure out how to change the way we talk about stias, I think would probably go a very long way. But all the seminaries and schools, everyone keeps trying. And, and a lot of it is amazed. working. A lot of it works plenty. I mean, they're, it's clearly working because women are inspired to be sneeze for one reason or another. These classes are working. But then you have this massive, and they could even inspire them, but at the same time cause a body dysmorphia or, or eating disorders. Exactly. And the two aren't, aren't mutually exclusive. A person can feel like when a person is doing things for very like from and altruistic reasons, it can be real and it can also cause challenges. Like we don't want to say that if someone's involved with eating disorder because of any kind of messages associated with anything, that like all of the positive parts of that spiritual message is, is wrong. But we do want to say, like, how can we give healthier messages that are just as spiritually connected? Can we differentiate between disordered eating and eating disorders? Like what's considered healthy and normal? And then what's, when, when do you need help? So there's a very fine line between disordered eating and eating disorder. But healthy eating would sound like Somebody who has an overall comfortable relationship with their body. Now, unfortunately, it is very normal and normative not to, but like an overall healthy connection to their body and an overall comfort level with their way they're eating. So where they feel like they can eat in a way that supports their overall nutritional needs, doesn't cause anxiety. And there aren't really any, you know, like they, they're in touch with the, what their body wants. So it's not about like if they're eating a bag of chips and okay, because the thing says that this is a serving size, this is, I'm not going to eat more and I'm not going to eat less. Like if I'm hungry, I'm going to send a bag, but if I'm not, I may leave some over. Like just being in touch with what their body actually wants. And I would say that anything beyond that, even if it doesn't hit an eating disorder, you deserve help. Like if you're struggling with anxiety around your body or your relationship with food, then there are so many wonderful Health in every size clinicians, whether it's a dietitian or a therapist, who can guide you to learning how to, how to work on that relationship with your food and body. So it doesn't have to be able to meet criteria for an eating disorder to really deserve help. Do you have some interesting stories you can share from your practice? I'm going to ha- I'm, I'm actually going to pass on that just because I don't want to say any, you know, like reference anyone's specific personal story. Right. And what about your personal experiences with yourself? Is there anything you'd like to share? Sure. I wasn't planning on doing that, but I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable doing so, so sure. Um, I will say that my own journey to having a healthy relationship with my body was pretty rocky. It's interesting because I think that when I was growing up in a significantly smaller body than I am in right now, I thought that the solution was to be at a different size. But I tried for years to get down to a size that, honestly, I started dieting when I, before I hit puberty. Like I was I was in an average body in it. But, but over the years, again and again, and for me, every single round of restriction and led to binge eating, which kept raising my body's set point and making my body be like more and more terrified to lose weight because survival is one of the important things in life. Until I finally, you know, got help and learned to get in touch with my mindfulness and learn to appreciate my body for everything it can do for me. And the cool thing is, is that today I am 
you know, overall really comfortable with my body and comfortable with my eating. And I, I, like, I can't almost believe sometimes that it wasn't like changing my body wasn't the answer. Not only that, I'm in a much higher weight than I ever was. And I'm still so much more comfortable with my body. And I think that that's like a, a really important message that I, I think is important to give over. Can I ask, do you, when you say comfortable with your body, does that mean you're comfortable eating anything at any time in front of anyone? Or is that, is that still like you still have your restrictions on what you're comfortable with and what you're not? So what I will say is that I am comfortable eating whatever I want. I will say also that that shouldn't be mistaken. People sometimes think, oh, when like people like go all like weight neutral and I'm just going to feed my body whatever it wants, then it needs like sitting down every day and feasting on like all of the foods. <laughs> no, I meant um, like if there's shame actually, involved. Yeah. Meaning. Right. I know. So I want to first thing that. And when it comes down to this, it's actually a really good point. And I will say there was a point where I started recognizing that I still have to be working on letting go of internalized fat phobia. Like this was, I think a few months ago, I was going to a training with a colleague and we were supposed to be ordering lunch. And she was very busy trying to figure out like which one she's going to be ordering like the day before because you're supposed to put in the order. And she kept saying like, we were splitting. She said, which one do you want? And all of a sudden it hit me and I'm like, I'm not comfortable ordering a day in advance because in my head, everybody around me will think, oh, that girl wants to order food a day earlier. And it was so mind-blowing to me because I ate the food. I ordered the food really happily and really excitedly. But I think that like every once in a while, I'll still like notice like small teeny little areas of like internalized fat phobia, like ways where I will hold back. And when I notice it, I'm like, oh, okay, like you're still here. And then I, you know, fight it. That's a great example. Any closing remarks or words of wisdom? I hope it's, I don't think it's very wise, but I will say my closing remarks regardless. I just saw a quote on social media that I really liked that said, in order to solve the eating disorder epidemic, we have to make it safe to be fat. And I think that in the world at large, it's not safe to be fat, you know, going through all the different reasons that society doesn't want to. It's the you only know, unprotected class. Yes, yes, fat, like, fat shaving is like the only politically corrupt way of, like, group to shave. But in the front community, I would say it's, it, it's, it's even more, like, it's even less safe to be fat. Going on the issues that we talked about today, and going along with so many other, other challenges that we talked about, like, associated with the front community and how, how everyone has to be the same thing. And I think really working on that, making it be more safe to be fat and to be, like, like unashamed about fatness in the firm community, I would say, is, is really, like, a very important goal that I hope at some point will reach. And you did mention Ashkenazi versus Farty. Were there any differences? So, no. Like, the, the problem is, is that some research was brought up, let's say, like, the research was only in the Syrian community or only in, you know, like, different... Just because of, like, the research anecdotal. size is often very limited. Anecdotal. But... Oh, I haven't seen no. I haven't, I haven't seen enough to to like want to even share my impressions. Okay, but anything, nothing at all. No, I will say though that the more a community is focused on, because there's so many nuances within communities, the, the more the focus is on looking a certain way, the higher pressure, and the more the shut up system is something it's acknowledged. Like when kids are young, I would say that's that's where I see it more. Got it. Okay. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. I really enjoyed it. Did you? Yes, I really did as well. Thank you so much for having me, Francisca. I hope you enjoyed and learned something from this episode. Thanks for listening until the end. Please subscribe to the show or follow it on whatever podcast app you're listening to. Also, please share this podcast with your friends and family. I am looking for divorcees to come on and talk about their experiences. I'm working on a new series 
And if you or anyone you know is looking for podcasting support, please refer them to me. As always, I love hearing from you. Feel free to join the WhatsApp discussion group. I'm excited to be doing this work. And see you next week.